Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Fitz on Fantasy Podcast. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF, and you can find my draft rankings and my team-by-team buying guides at thefootballgirl.com. So glad you could join me today. If you like what you hear and want to rate and review this podcast, I will not try to talk you out of it. This is the 55th episode of Fitz on Fantasy, and I will spare you the audio snippet of Sammy Hagar's I Can't Drive 55. But I do think that song is appropriate today because I really can't drive 55. My guest is going to be none other than Matt Kelly of playerprofiler.com, host of the Roto Underworld and Sonic Truth Dynasty podcasts. Matt is a fun guy to talk to. He's opinionated. He's outspoken. He is flat out bombastic. But in any conversation with Matt, even when it's on my podcast, I'm always going to be the passenger and he is going to do the driving. So Matt will be driving episode 55. I really can't drive 55. No, I'm going to be in the passenger seat traveling at 100 miles per hour without a seatbelt, my white knuckles gripping the dashboard. So let's not waste any more time. Let's bring in Matt Kelly. I'm now joined by one of my very favorite people to talk to in the business. He is the proprietor of the great website, playerprofiler.com, the host of the Roto Underworld and Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. He is Matt Kelly, a.k.a. the Podfather. Go find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. The Podfather. Talk to me, Matt. Player Profiler is pretty great, isn't it? It's awesome, man. I love that site. <laughs> I can't believe it. Sometimes I'm on it during a show like this show. I'm going to be on player profiler a lot and I have to check myself for a second. Be like, Oh, wait, wait, this is my website. Holy shit. This is crazy. It is pretty cool, man. And I, I do think it has grown in ubiquity as a helpful tool for fantasy owners, like getting these athletic stats and just so visual, like the visual demonstration of how these guys fair athletically, their workload shares, their breakout age in college. It's just so useful. And the app, the Dynasty Dominator app, that's the big new innovation for 2019. The Dynasty Dominator in the App Store, Google Play, check it out. One of the few resources for fantasy football in the App Store. I was shocked to learn that most of the apps in the App Store are related to fantasy drafts, right? Draft and Sleeper and ESPN and Yahoo. The draft platforms have apps, but a lot of resources 
are just web-based. So we were happy to actually get in the app store and more apps are to come, my friend. And that's great because that is an insatiable year-round demand for dynasty resources, whereas much more of a seasonal thing with the draft apps. Oh, yeah. I, I'm just... I Once you pop and get in the app store, you can't stop, right? It's like... It, it's insatiable. Like, oh, okay, when's the next app? Next app. Let's go. Let's do an app for that. Now, the the training camp tidbits are flying at us, Matt. We have injury news. We have breathless reports of players kicking ass in non-contact drills. We have gifs. I saw a video of a David Montgomery drill, a non-contact drill that was touted by the guy who posted it as evidence of how hard David Montgomery will be to tackle in a non-contact drill. You know that you can't tackle players in camp, right? They don't have – in the NFL, it's not full contact. Like all running backs score touchdowns on every carry in practice. Like it's a mantra of the coaching staff that you must take every carry in practice to the goal line. Like if you don't do that – you get kicked out of practice or you have to run laps or sprints or whatever it is. So the idea that David Montgomery would go score a touchdown in practice is like, it's asinine that that would even be like a newsworthy piece of, it, of, of, uh, of football uh, hype. What are you talking about? Of course he's scoring a touchdown. Of course he's hard to tackle. It's impossible to tackle. They're not allowed to tackle him. In these videos, he's he's even got guys grabbing him, like <gasps> grabbing him by the jersey. Like you realize oh. these guys would be jumping on top of him. Oh, oh no. Yes, he, he ran through arm tackles because that's all they're allowed to do. It's just pseudo wrap up. <laughs> it's like, what are we talking about? I love it though. I love it. I love I love the wheel spinning in preseason. It's it's one of my favorite aspects of football analysis. But also I I enjoy decoding what gets sent out. I de- I enjoy decoding the coach speak to try to find if anything is actionable, if anything is interesting. Uh, some of these gifs, some of them are interesting. The ones that are interesting are when the player is working with the ones and he's getting targets and he's getting more targets and more receptions in a particular practice session than the other receivers on the, then that's interesting, right? When you hear Maurice Harris is hogging the targets with the ones for the Patriots, then that's interesting. Like that's actionable. We need to know that then, okay, it's more likely that Maurice Harris captures a roster spot over Dontrell Inman. That likely means Inman's on the outside looking in and Maurice Harris is on the inside and will probably secure that that spot. And that means necessarily on the Patriots, given the, the shallowness of that wide receiver depth chart, that Maurice Harris would be a starter. And there are certain formats, certain leagues, certain deep leagues, especially best ball leagues, draft master, you can't pick up guys in season, you just need to figure out who's going to be starting and draft those players late. Doesn't matter if they look like Maurice Harris or they look like Miles Boykin athletically. You need to go get them. 
let's talk about Miles since you mentioned him. So, I mean, that seems like I have the show sheet. I have the show sheet in front of me. So I'm helping. I am. I am subversively driving this show as the guest. Oh, you're always driving the show, Matt. I even said something about that in the introduction. But Miles Boykin is a guy you've talked about before. And now people have been raving about him in camp. So tell me about him. I mean, what could he do? Some people are worried this could be a limited passing offense. But do you think he could step in and be fantasy relevant right away? No, I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant right away. I think Willie Steed is going to lead this team in targets. And I don't know why that's like this crazy, you know, preposition. I don't understand this crazy projection doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't Willie Sneed? He's the veteran. He's the guy that's returning. So we always need to take a step back and think about what we're talking about, right? What kind of league are we talking about? If we're talking about a deep best ball league where I just need targets at the end of the draft, I'm going Willie Sneed because Willie Sneed goes out and catches eight balls for 80 yards and a touchdown, he's going to be in your lineup that week in a best ball scenario. And he's going to provide that floor weekly where you don't take zeros. You can't take zeros. That's one of the keys in best ball. It's not how many weeks can you hit a home run at the wide receiver position. It's how many weeks can you make sure you have a reasonable double-digit floor from a basket of wide receivers. And But in Dynasty... It's all about Miles Boykin. Now, I don't have as much Miles Boykin in Dynasty as I would like because his athleticism was just so impressive. Spark X score, which measures his overall athleticism, the Nike Spark score, 94th percentile as measured on playerprofiler.com. And you look across the board, the great burst, the agility, straight line speed at 220 pounds. He doesn't look like an underwhelming college producer. Guys that look like Miles Boykin typically dominate like Demarius Thomas, but he didn't dominate at Notre Dame. So that's my one cause for pause, right? That's my one reason. Like if Miles Boykin was a mega producer, he would have been a first round pick in Dynasty, right? That's the paradox. Like, what are we talking about? The only reason Miles Boykin's available to you in the third round of a Dynasty rookie draft is because he only posted a 50% college dominator. If you watched Notre Dame, he made impressive catches against the most difficult group of corners that any college wide receiver faced all season in 2018. But he wasn't targeted frequently enough to capture a significant share of that receiving game. So the question is, well, when he gets to the next level, what's going to happen? My prediction is based on this profile is that he has a less than 50% chance of hitting because most wide receivers have a less than 50% chance of hitting, especially if you're not drafted in the first round. So given that, given that he's one of these dart throws, he is a dart throw, not a first round pick, not a college, not a dominant young college producer. So given that he's a dart throw, what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at a guy that maybe he can develop maybe in his final season forces at Notre Dame were conspiring against him that did not allow his athleticism to be unlocked because you'd like him to translate those athletic gifts, which are exceptional, into on-field production. And when a wide receiver doesn't do that in college against inferior competition to what he's going to face at the NFL level, then that's a red flag. That's the Chris Conley corollary. Like Chris Conley, dominant at the combine, but not at Georgia. 
Miles Boykin, dominant at the Combine, but not at Notre Dame. So we've seen wide receivers transcend their lack of college production because of athleticism, and Miles Boykin is one of those guys. If I have an opportunity to draft a guy in the third and fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft, especially a wide receiver, I'm going to go with a guy like Miles Boykin. I'm going to go with a guy like Terry McLaurin in Washington because these are guys with athleticism that landed on shallow wide receiver depth charts where it's it's not a, a, a steep hill to climb for Miles Boykin to start securing targets, to start demanding targets even. Same thing with Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin has to win a spot in the starting lineup over a Paul Richardson or a Josh Doxson. That's just it's a low bar. For Miles Boykin, there is no bar. The bar is Chris Moore. Can he outperform Chris Moore in preseason? Yeah, I think he can. I think he can. But when he gets into the game, he's not going to capture the same number of targets as Willie Sneed. He's probably not going to have the same call. He's probably going to out. He's probably his target share will probably finish under Mark Andrews as well. So the question is, who's the number three receiver in that passing game? Could be Miles Boykin. That's not going to be a fantasy relevant guy this year, but a guy that you park on the taxi squad and you hope for the best. That's what you're looking at with Miles Boykin. And there were a bunch of guys in this class. That's the beauty of this class this 2019 wide receiver class is that if you are drafting in the third and fourth round, there are some guys with incredibly high ceilings if they can continue to develop. Terry McLaurin faced a lot of target competition at Ohio State, but he has blazing speed and he has rapport with his ex-college quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Miles Boykin, it sounds like he's developing rapport with Lamar Jackson. And if Lamar Jackson can throw, I mean, that's the question I've been asking all offseason. Like, what if, right? Just what if? Ask the question. What the hypothetical? Pose it. What if Lamar Jackson can throw? Then what? Then he's a top five dynasty quarterback. Easy, easy, right? It's not hard. But if he can throw that also, that's going to unlock Miles Boykin. I don't know. I'd like to see it. So this is one of those teams that we're going to be focused on in preseason. So follow the Ravens, and especially in the first quarter when the first team offense is out there, what wide receivers are catching passes from Lamar Jackson? That's something to monitor very closely. Now, you broke some news to me before we started this conversation, and I wish I had your breaking news uh, audio drop. Uh, Theo Riddick signs with the Denver Broncos. So... Not yet. No, he's having a physical. Oh, it's a physical. Okay. Right. He's having his physical in Denver, but that's a precursor to being signed. I mean, maybe he fails the physical. If he fails the physical, he's fucked. But really, he's a physical away from being a Bronco. Now, we know he's not going to be a Detroit Lion. So is it wheels up for carry on Johnson? I think so. Right. I think so. But wheels up how far? I mean, that's the question. I think it's great for Karrion Johnson that there's no more Theo Riddick. That's 50 to 75 possible targets that are off the board. I actually believe that regardless of whether or not Theo Riddick made the team, I thought there was a less than 50% chance Theo Riddick was going to make that team anyway because they drafted Ty Johnson and they signed CJ Anderson and most teams don't carry more than three running backs. So sometimes it's just a question of taking a step back 
and looking at the depth charts. We have a depth chart section on playerprofiler.com. And just do the thought experiment team by team. How many players at this position can this team keep? That's why Miles Boykin's interesting, that he could accrue some value in Dynasty this season because that wide receiver depth chart is so shallow. Same thing with Terry McLaurin. Same thing now with Ty Johnson. I think that Kerryon Johnson is still a running back two, not a running back one in fantasy football. I see a lot of people now jumping up in the second round to draft Kerryon Johnson, and, and I'm just not there yet. I'm not there yet because they did sign C.J. Anderson, and they did draft Ty Johnson. This is not a team that appears as committed to their primary back as some other teams, right? We know that the Tennessee Titans are highly committed to Derrick Henry. They didn't draft a single running back in the draft. They didn't sign anybody except undrafted rookies. So you know the Tennessee Titans are fully committed to Derrick Henry. With Kerryon Johnson, it looks like he's going to miss out on the short yardage work. Potentially goal line work will go to C.J. Anderson. That's not great. Ty Johnson is an exciting electric player. And this guy posted a 9.1 yards per carry in his sophomore year at Maryland when he went over 1,000 yards. And then after that, he was injured. But when healthy, Ty Johnson is more explosive than Kerryon Johnson. Kerryon Johnson has a great burst, but... His 40 time is average. His agility is average. He's a great all-purpose back, but not necessarily... Well, I shouldn't say that. I think he's a very good all-purpose back, but my problem with Kerryon Johnson is there's nothing about him that says this is a great back. Coming out of Auburn, he was not a high-pedigree prospect. That was Nick Chubb. That was Darius Geis. That was Saquon Barkley. Kerryon Johnson was more like a Rashad Penny in that class, if you remember, where you know the, the, very, where the tears broke with that running back class last season. And that's my worry with Kerryon Johnson, that the Lions don't view him like Cleveland views Nick Chubb, right? We don't know. It's the same problem we have with Aaron Jones, right? Do the Packers really believe, or do they just think he's the best they got? Right? I'm not sure the Lions believe in Kerryon Johnson so much so they're going to give him a 75% opportunity share. If I knew that for sure, then absolutely Second round, hell, 75% opportunity share, eh, late first round. I just don't know. It's possible. It's actually possible that because they signed C.J. Anderson and drafted Ty Johnson, that Kerryon Johnson's opportunity share goes down this year. But the opportunities, the weighted opportunities on playerprofiler.com, which put a premium on targets, that that goes up. That he actually finishes with a higher weighted opportunity and a lower opportunity share because he's getting a lot more work in the passing game, but just not scoring the touchdowns and not necessarily rolling up the running, you know, the, the rushing yards that you'd like because he's being spelled by Ty Johnson. I can see them going with a two, two, one system where Ty Johnson or CJ Anderson is getting every third drive. And then they're bringing in C.J. Anderson on short yardage. And it's like, okay, wait a second. Wait, wait. Okay, let me do the math on this one. Now, now make it a low-volume offense. Make it a team that finishes bottom five in the league in plays run because that's where they're trending with Matt Patricia and the system that he wants to run. Matt Patricia's not going out here and investing in offensive weapons. He's not bringing in 
forward-looking offensive minds. He's installing a hill. They installed a hill at the training facility. Like, that's what Matt Patricia thinks is going to win, right? That's, that's the thing. That's the advantage he's going to get over the competition. We have a hill, right? Anytime you hire the coach that thinks you're going to outcondition the other guys, you see this every year in college and in the NFL, the team hires the guy that's going to outcondition and outwork as opposed to outthink and outlast. Right, you want to outthink and outlast. That's the guy that's going to give you a competitive advantage. That's why Sean McVay was in the Super Bowl last year facing the Patriots, not Matt Patricia. So when you start to think about this lower volume, restricted offense and the touch competition in the backfield for Karrion Johnson, that's when you have to temper expectations. You can't run out to best case scenario because even though a Nick Chubb may get a lot less passing game work, he's operating in the context of the Browns offense. That's a lot more carries, a lot more touches total. That's a lot more goal line work, red zone work. Don't you think the Browns are going to be in the red zone a lot more than the Lions this year? Yeah, it stands to reason. Aren't touchdowns important in fantasy football? So that's where you don't want to miss the forest for the trees with a Karrion Johnson. I think he goes from being an early fourth rounder to an early third rounder. And that's great, and that's fine, but still, give me Marlon Mack, give me Damian Williams on the super high prolific offenses, the high octane, super prolific offenses. That's where you want to invest, not so much these anemic offenses that are in divisions where you don't project to see a lot of shootouts, right? Lions, Bears, that's not really a shootout, right? If I'm going to invest in a running back, or any skill position player, the first conference, the first division I would look for is any player in the NFC South. <laughs> That's really my priority. So, Or the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So if I have the opportunity to draft a guy, I'm probably going to go with a Damian Williams because I know he's going to be on the Chiefs. And now he's even less expensive because he pulled a hamstring. I mean, there is so much confirmation bias around Damian Williams so just looking for a reason to tout some Darwin Thompson or or be a truther for Carlos Hyde. I mean, Damian Williams was a flash in the pan player, right? He just had a couple games last year, and then he performed well in the playoffs. But he's undrafted. And he's not that good. He was just a function of the he's his production was just a function of the Chiefs' offense, and now he's getting hurt. Aha! You just jump on the reason. Ah, right. Where for me. I've always thought that Damian Williams was underrated because he checked so many boxes, speed, size, receiving skills. He just needed that opportunity. Sometimes for some guys like Fred Jackson, 10 years ago, it comes late. For Damian Williams, it came late. That's okay. I'm a believer. So that's why I'm going to draft Damian Williams over Karrion Johnson, even though the news is breaking against Damian Williams and for Karrion Johnson right now. And you mentioned Aaron Jones, and he kind of slots into that same general area of the draft for a lot of people with Damian Williams, with Marlon Mack, with Karrion Johnson. So you actually took Aaron Jones in the Scott Fishball, but you also took Dexter Williams, and you probably had it in mind all along because I know you are a Dexter Williams guy. Um, and I'm also smart. I also see three moves ahead. You know, I'm a chess master out here. So what about Aaron Jones and the people who aren't necessarily planning on getting Dexter Williams late in drafts or the people in these 
12 teams, 16 man roster drafts where Dexter Williams probably isn't going to get drafted. I mean, there as a standalone proposition, what do you think of Aaron Jones? I see so many moves ahead, Pat, that I came into the Scott Fishbowl planning to get Dexter Williams with no intention whatsoever of drafting Aaron Jones. That's how good I am at this because I wanted to draft. Guess who I wanted to draft when I drafted Aaron Jones? You know who I intended to draft if I weren't sniped? AJ Green. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to draft AJ Green. I wanted to go. I want to do my normal. I've been talking about this strategy for years, years and years and years. Hybrid zero RB, just RB plus four or five wide receivers. You start with an RB in round one and then just pound wide receiver. And I've been doing that successfully for at least a couple of years. I was going to say as long as I can remember, but I can distinctly remember when I was doing pure zero RB and my face was exploding. So, but my, my fantasy teams have gotten a lot better since I started this hybrid approach. And so I was planning on going wide receiver all along and then boom, 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 Diggs, Thielen, AJ Green, they all go off the board. So... Aaron Jones was just, I can't, I keep going to say this. I, I don't want to say it because I don't want the kids to get the wrong idea, but realize that I'm the pod father and I can do pod father things. And I see so many moves ahead that I can get away with this, even though the average fantasy gamer cannot. I can't, I'm going to say it. I'll say it. This is what happened. The strategy around Aaron Jones, picking him in the fourth round of the Scott Fishbowl was best player available. <laughs> It was just, I was like, listen, man, like I'm going to go the wisdom of the crowds here. He's by far and away the highest ADP player left on the board, right? Or lowest, however you want to look at it. But, you know, just based on the default ADP, he was the best player by a margin. So I was like, I don't understand why my particular draft room doesn't like Aaron Jones. And I don't love Aaron Jones either, but I don't hate him. So I'm going to go ahead and draft him. And I'm going to adjust my strategy, maybe take an extra wide receiver in the middle rounds to make up for it and make definitely make sure I get Dexter Williams. If I thought I was going to get Dexter Williams beforehand, you damn right. I'm going to get Dexter Williams after I draft Aaron Jones. Oh my God. Dexter Williams is already getting first team reps. I love Dexter Williams. I didn't used to like Dexter Williams heading into the draft. I wasn't sure what Dexter Williams was because he was not a college mega producer and he, he couldn't usurp Josh Adams at Notre Dame. It's funny that we were only talking about Notre Dame athletes, like Miles Boykin, Dexter Williams. It wasn't even a good offense. Like It wasn't even an offense you wanted to watch. And yet there's Miles Boykin in the third round, Dexter Williams available in the fourth round. So you're loading up on these Notre Dame players. Like, what? So Dexter Williams is interesting because he has great burst and agility. He actually looks a lot like Karrion Johnson. When you compare their profiles, Dexter Williams and Karrion Johnson look strikingly similar. It's just that Dexter Williams is not the same receiver. And that's a big deal, right? That's a giant deal. The fact that Karrion Johnson is one of the best receivers at the running back position, especially among the the running backs with feature back size, Karrion Johnson, one of the best receivers, Dexter Williams, not right? But he's going to be explosive Jamal Williams. So there's two Williams, right? In Green Bay. 
you want to pick the better Williams. And I think that the Packers have already figured out who the better Williams is. The Williams with real burst. The Williams with true athleticism. The Williams that was a dominant runner at the college level when given an opportunity, 6.3 yards per carry. And if you did watch those Notre Dame games, you saw Dexter Williams running over college defenders in a way that Jamal Williams never did at BYU. I mean, get out of here with Jamal Williams. It's all about Dexter Williams and that breather back role. I think it's going to be a rotation. It's going to be the 2-2-1 rotation that we talked about with Detroit. Same thing in Green Bay. It's going to be Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Dexter Williams, Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones, Dexter Williams. And then you see Dexter Williams in there in the goal line. You're like, you're mind blown and you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're apocalyptic, right? You're no, not apocalyptic. No, did I say apocalyptic? I meant apoplectic. Apoplectic. Oh my god! Oh, the Podfather fucking up the vocabulary. Rare feat. Make sure you record everyone to save this episode. I, I, I misspoke on a podcast. The wrong voc, voc- the, the wrong deep vocab word. Big mistake. You misspoke and you let us know that you're a best player available guy. So there's a. I can't believe this. This is a whole segment. It's just been. A, it's been. A, it's on fire. Like you know, it's it's inside a dumpster, soaking in dumpster water, and and, and then there's flames. Like, that's how bad this segment has been. But the bottom line is, Aaron Jones is interesting, but he's not a guy I'm drafting over Damian Williams or Karrion Johnson. Or Marlon Mack, because the opportunity share is more fragile there than it is for the other running backs. I and and early in drafts, the first four rounds in, in particular, my focus is stability. My focus is on minimizing risk. And Aaron Jones at 208 pounds with six round draft capital, having never been fully committed to by his team during the regular season, carries more inherent risk. Then a Marlon Mack, who was a dominant college producer, was, you know, a, a, a top recruit in the state of Florida, was, you know, had at least fourth round draft capital, wasn't a late round pick, you know, third, he was either a, a day two or early day three pick. And then, you know, basically been a productive running back his entire career, with the exception of that one season, his rookie year in Indianapolis with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback and one of the worst offensive lines in football. So there's a reason why Marlon Mack didn't explode onto the scene in his rookie year. Those reasons are the presence of Frank Gore, the worst run blocking unit, and Jacoby Brissett. I think I'll take it. I think I'll take that as a legitimate rationalization for why this one season Marlon Mack wasn't super productive. So you don't quite have that level of certainty that you do with Marlon Mack when you're talking about Aaron Jones. That's why Aaron Jones, I think, is more of a fourth rounder where Marlon Mack I'm willing to pick as early as the early third round. Matt, before we go on, I want to give you a chance to tell people about the player profiler world famous draft kit. Since Is this the, the end of the show? No, we're not there yet. I'm actually giving you a chance to talk about this before the end of the show i thought you said before we go oh no before we go i thought we were i thought the show was over before we continue on oh okay before we continue because this show sheet has a lot more players to talk about oh we have a lot to talk about right i mean derrick henry has a lower leg injury and that's a big deal yeah we won't we'll get back to that but i'm just making sure that we're i'm guiding the show down on the right direction and we're not we're not ending early the people came 
to tune into the Podfather. If you end the show in less than an hour, they're like, well, that's not a that's not a that's not a show with the Podfather. Every every show goes over an hour. You've robbed us. Sometimes two hours. You've robbed us, Mister Fitzmorris. So yeah, tell me about the draft. Yeah, so the, the the draft kit you did it. I mean, pretty much if, if it's a who's who of industry analysts, the best in the business. Everybody analyzed a player, and both the the written analysis and audio and, and audio visual, a video actually, actually a video. Um, so whether it be Dexter Williams or Aaron Jones, there is incredible analysis on the top three hundred players. And we're constantly updating it. So if you go to AJ Green's profile in the draft kit, it's already been updated to account for the torn ankle ligaments. Our cheat sheet already has Tyler Boyd boosted up 15 slots because of the law of the conservation of targets. And players like Maurice Harris are being added in real time because they're running with the ones. That's the beauty of our draft kit versus some magazine. We also have ADP movers. So as players are moving up draft boards and down, but mostly up, we do write-ups in the team previews. And Rotoviz did a great job laying out the team previews, which have all the key vitals, vacated targets, vacated carries, strength of schedule, lots of rich information about each team, including which players are moving up and down and signature trends. So what's the one trend with this team to look at? whether it be the offensive line investments in the offseason, like that's what Atlanta did, or you see you know, the, the Matt Patricia philosophy of, of, of turning down the volume, right? Turning the knobs on the volume down just when it's been decided. It's, 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 it's sort of uh, case law now, established case law that you want to score points. You want to increase the temp, you go up tempo, increase the volume. Uh, to help your offense. No, no, no. Matt, Matt Patricia is trying to turn turn the volume, trying to turn everything back. So there's some trends that are interesting that can inform your decisions at the team level as well. So that's really what it is. It's these team previews by Rotoviz and and all of our team collaborating and and our cheat sheet. And the projections in the cheat sheet are by Peter Howard. And he's one of the one of the best in the business in, in terms of technical technocrats. He's one of the great technocrats in fantasy football, getting these projections to be as precise as possible, leveraging total target distance and and some more advanced efficiency and opportunity metrics to generate those projections. So go to fantasy-draftkit.com and do yourself a service, do your fantasy team a service uh, to help you get prepared for draft day. Yeah, this is one of the most comprehensive draft guides you'll find. And this is the time of year when a lot of people are in the markets for a draft guide. So this one is unique and with all the different. Yeah, fantasy-draftkit.com. Also, if you go there, you can get it for free. So FanDuel has this offer you can't refuse where, okay, hey, man, you know, I don't have 40 bucks. That's a lot of money. Okay, well, you can get it for free. with uh, You just sign up for FanDuel and get it for free. It's like, oh, I already have a FanDuel account. Oh, okay. Well, maybe you have a, maybe a, maybe someone else that you know, or a different email account. Like there's lots of ways to get free shit on the internet, and we've provided you with those means. Now you mentioned Derrick Henry. Let's talk about him because we jousted lightly over him in your on your show a couple weeks ago. You're pro Henry. I think he could be a trap. Are you 
are you at all concerned about this lower leg injury? If not this year for Derrick Henry, it's not going to happen. Okay. It's not going to happen. He's 25. This is the year. This is one of the signature make or break seasons for a running back that we've seen. It's over if he doesn't break out this year. And when you take a step back and you look at who Derrick Henry is, don't you think he's a running back that's destined to break out somehow, some way that he, you can't, he can't be denied, right? 43.5% dominator rating at Alabama, the weapons Alabama has. And they say, you know what? We're going to run this offense through Derrick Henry. Like what? Really? Like, yeah, yeah, we are actually. Yeah. Calvin Ridley's okay. Amari Cooper, he's okay, but we're going to run this through Derrick Henry. Kenyon Drake couldn't see the field because of Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry is actually a stronger pass catcher than the numbers indicate as well. I'm not saying he's going to go produce RB1 numbers in fantasy because he's suddenly going to command 55 targets. No, I'm saying his path to being an RB1 in fantasy is 2,000 rushing yards. So if you are going to be on one of these run-first offenses, like a run-oriented philosophy, I'd rather you look like Derrick Henry than look like Kerryon Johnson, right? Kerryon Johnson was never a high-pedigree running back like Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is that guy. Derrick Henry is in that class with the Darius Geises and the Nick Chubbs, where they're just undeniable runners. And in an offense that focuses on the run, that leans run first. Well, that's the guy you want, isn't it? And they went out and they made a key offensive line upgrade. One of the reasons that I'm not drafting Todd Gurley is not just the knee. It's Roger Saffold's gone, right? There's a reason why Todd Gurley went from being a bust in his sophomore season to having one of the great career renaissances we've seen, right? It was the same thing for Todd Gurley. If it didn't happen for him in his third season, it wasn't going to happen. But it happened for him in the biggest, most epic way, right? And and why is that? Is it because he became a different running back? That he transformed his body? No. They went out and they acquired road grading guards and walling off tackles, right? Andrew Whitworth, Roger Saffold. That's the reason why Todd Gurley became Todd Gurley. It's not because Todd Gurley became a different guy or that Sean McVay arrived. Like that's a Sean McVay gets all the credit. This is what if if there was one thing, one piece of advice that I would offer to anyone that wants to get in the fantasy analysis business, it's to identify coach centric analysis and look for the third variable. So look for the cliche industry wide, the, 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 the analysis that most people are leaning on that, the coach is the reason. Whenever you see that, whenever you see the analysis leading off with the coach and then other, you know, other ancillary data points come after that, then that's an opportunity for you to actually dig deeper and find the real reason because it ain't the coach because the coach isn't playing, right? They're just calling plays mostly out of the West Coast offense playbook that most coaches have. Like the difference that one coach brings to the table over another in terms of, you know, play calling and scheme is marginal. It, it matters, certainly. Yeah, the, the the best play caller in the league makes a difference, especially when compared to the worst play caller. Like it makes a measurable difference. Like it's it's a big that's it's something that matters, certainly. 
but it doesn't matter anything close to the offensive line, right? But the offensive line doesn't lead any article, right? That's not the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom is it's the new offensive coordinator unlock the player. Meanwhile, they made all these offensive line investments that aren't getting talked about. They're unheralded. Well, that's your opportunity as a fantasy analyst to go deeper and to debunk the conventional wisdom. And no better example uh, than the the forces behind Todd Gurley's breakout. And so now you take Roger Saffold and you bring him to Tennessee and you wonder why the, the running lanes are suddenly wider. And Derrick Henry, once he gets to the second level, you can't stop him. Defensive backs, they just give up. They just lay down, right? He's 247 pounds and he runs a 4.54. That's a 116.3 97th percentile speed score with a 90th percentile burst score and incredible strength and leverage. Like there's a reason why he was number one in yards created per carry last season. Right? Yes, he had some big runs. That helped propel him, sure. But his breakaway run rate was only 3.7%. It wasn't like he was breaking a ton of runs. But when he did, he did it by first breaking tackles and then breaking away. That's why his juke rate, evaded tackles per touch, was number three in the league. So this is what we look for. Is a running back good or not? Is he creating yards on his own? The answer is yes. So he's creating yards on his own, and he's prolific when called upon, and he gets better in games where he gets more carries. These are all, and last year, right, he faced the most stacked fronts of any running back in the league. 45% of Derrick Henry's carries were against stacked fronts. Now, why? Because defenses know he's good, and they know Marcus Mariota was damaged goods because he had an elbow that didn't work on his throwing arm. How's that going to work out for you? Right. So that's why the average defenders in the box, 7.4 for Derrick Henry last season, was number one in the NFL. All that needs to happen is Mariota is more efficient. And that's not a, again, that's a low bar for Mariota to become more efficient. And he has AJ Brown. He has a healthy Delaney Walker. It's going to be very easy for this offense to be more efficient, especially in the passing game with Mariota healthy with weapons and you have an upgraded offensive line. Now I know Taylor Lewin is suspended, but Taylor Lewin gets back and the other pieces are healthier and they've been upgraded through free agency. So now we have this efficient offense or or more efficient that's visiting the red zone more frequently and they're opening wider running lanes for a, a running back that's playing for his next contract and has one of the most impressive and unique size, speed backgrounds, prolific going all the way back to his time at college, we've ever seen. So it's all setting up for Derrick Henry to have one of those Jamal Lewis seasons where he goes over 2,000 yards. And then everyone's like, of course. Like, of course Derrick Henry went over 2,000 yards. It makes perfect sense that he would do that. Like, he would be that guy. If you had to think of that guy in your mind's eye, it would be Derrick Henry. It It hasn't happened yet. It just hasn't happened yet. So while I'm closing my eyes, I'm looking into the future and I'm telling you what's going to happen before it happens. So then when everyone's like, of course that happened, you can be like, yeah, I know you're saying of course it happened, but I know of course it was going to happen because he's actually on my fantasy team. What are your takeaways from the AJ Green injury? Are you just going to let me talk for that amount of time (laughs) with that amount of information and you're just going to boomerang back to me another question? Are you serious? You're not going to acknowledge 
that monologue, A, and then B, you're not going to give me any relief? Are you fucking kidding me? Should I give you some pushback on Derrick Henry? No, I do something. All right. Give me some relief. I need a drink of water. <laughs> it scares the hell out of me, Matt, that going into December last year, Derrick Henry was averaging like 3.6 yards a carry and under 40 rushing yards a game. And I kind of wonder, and we talked about this a little bit on your show, just, you know, the, the Jaguars defense just so obviously packing it in for that game where Henry just stampeded them on Thursday nights and, you know. Yeah, 47 fantasy <laughs> points, 238 yards. I remember going up against him in a league, too, and seeing that Derrick Henry was in my opponent's lineup and being like, what's he going to do? <laughs> <laughs> but he followed that up the next week with 170 total yards. So, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, there, there was clearly a trend that we're going to feed this guy, right? So he went 17 carries against Jacksonville, then 33 against the Giants, 21 against Washington. So th- there's clearly a trend that started last year. We talk about signature trends. Well, this is a signature trend of Tennessee. I think that everything is going to click into place for him this year. Does anyone think that they're going to suddenly turn this back to the Deion Lewis offense? I haven't heard that. And that's the counterfactual, Pat. Really? Is that what you're saying? I do think Dion's going to be involved, though. I mean, I think he's Dion is still a good player. Like, and and you make some great points about Henry's assets and and what he brings, and it's unique to be sure. But I do think it's going to be maybe a little less run heavy than people think. I do think Dion's still going to be involved. That's not a bad thing, though. No, I know. We for it to be less run heavy is not even a bad thing. I want it to be less run heavy because then the offense is more efficient, and then they have more red zone carries, and there's more touchdowns. But remember, Jake Conklin suffered a, a gruesome leg injury against the Patriots in the playoffs the previous year. He was not right last year. So you get Jake Conklin right and you add Roger Saffold. What matters for a running back more than anything else is you know great guard play. And, and, and that's what you're getting this year in Tennessee. And so I think, I think it's just a difference. They didn't have Conklin healthy to begin the season and they tried feeding him 18 carries the first two weeks of the season last year and it didn't work out he wasn't efficient because i don't think he had anywhere to go and they were playing in a monsoon in miami with blaine gabbard at quarterback right so i think there was i think they got confused right i think that coaches can get confused and forget where they are like they lose their bearings you know how when you're you're flying a plane you can find yourself upside down. You don't realize it. Next thing you know, you're cr- crashing into a mountain, right? Well, I think that's what happened to them last year. They were they, they, basically they were on tilt. If you're, the, wouldn't you have been on tilt if you had to go play Miami in a rainstorm and your quarterback possibly suffered a, a severed nerve ending in his elbow and, and couldn't feel his hand? Wouldn't that be tilting? if you were a Tennessee Titans coach and wouldn't you feel like you had to go and and take some radical measures and steps to change the offense because you could no longer get away with your game plan, which was, Oh, we're going to go and and feed Derrick Henry. They tried it for a couple games against Houston and Jacksonville. Derrick Henry went over 50 yards a couple times, created a bunch of yards on his own, but didn't score a lot of fantasy points. And then after that, they're okay, fine. You know, they, they panicked, right? They panicked The, the, the the headlights were coming at them in the middle of the road and they panicked 
That's what happened. And at the end of the year, they finally came to their senses and said, wait a second, what are we doing? Right. And I think that's what they've done all offseason is come back to their senses. And I just think that they hit the reset button. They realize, listen, this is the Derrick Henry show. And that's partially because they, they also may believe that Marcus Mariota is a game manager. Maybe that's the, the and we have all preseason to figure this out, right? This is the beauty of preseason. It's not the stats that you care about. It's who's running with the ones like Maurice Harris. And it's what plays are they calling, right? So in the first quarter, of the first week of preseason, you need to see who's in the player personnel packages and what plays are they calling. And that will give you a window into what the Tennessee Titans think they have this year and what their approach is going to be. And I'm already looking into the future. And I'm telling you, Derrick Henry runs. All right. Now, can I ask you about AJ Green? You basically had me talk again. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> All right. What's the fallout? What do we think about Tyler Boyd now? Is this just another reason to like him? Is there anyone else who becomes more fantasy relevant? Or are you just staying away from Bengals because of all this? All right. All right. So I, I, I stand corrected. Okay. I stand corrected. Remember I said earlier, if you're a fantasy analyst, a budding fantasy analyst, like this is what you want to do. I said, oh, identify the uh, conventional wisdom, coach worshiping, and debunk it with uh, third variables that are more impactful. Okay. That's great. Do that. Okay. But the other thing to do, maybe even more than that is always remember this is a small sample game and that there are certain core principles that have been tried and true throughout the seasons that you need to lean on when things change. It helps you from tilting, right? Let's say you're, you're an AJ Greeno. You don't want to tilt, right? Should I go trade for Tyler Boyd? Well, my answer would be yes. Yes, see, you don't want to tilt and talk yourself out of something because you saw some stat that out of context may send you off in the wrong direction. And that's the case with these Tyler Boyd splits with and without A.J. Green last year. Now, understand, it's impressive, right? These are, these are impressive splits. 17.5 fantasy points with A.J. Green, only 12.8 without him. Whoa, right? Sounds like Tyler Boyd's not equipped to handle number one corners, that he needs that blanket of protection, that he needs to be under the wing of the dragon. It's warm under there if you're Tyler Boyd and you're across the field from A.J. Green. A.J. Green's taking all the arrows, right? Well, they elevate him and he flames out. Mm -mm -mm, Loser game show sound. I guess he's just not ready to be a number one in this league. Or, or, or you take a step back and go, well, what defense did they play? How many games did he play with Andy Dalton? How many games did he play with Jeff Driscoll? How many offensive plays did they even call with Jeff Driscoll? Did, who was the offensive coordinator? And I told you, oh, the offensive coordinator was Hugh Jackson for the majority of those games. The quarterback was Jeff Driscoll, and the Bengals were last in the league in plays called. Now you have this context around the splits that explains it. We have third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth variables to tell the story of Tyler Boyd being less productive in the second half than he was in the first half. Now, knowing that, we can go to the principle that matters, which is the law of the conservation of targets, meaning you have eight to nine targets a game opened up. What do you do with those targets? They're going to go 
to the best receiver on the field, and that's Tyler Boyd. So this is a target boon for Tyler Boyd. Forget what the splits say, because A, it's a small sample within a small sample. 16 games is a small sample. Eight games is even smaller. Three games with Andy Dalton is tiny, right? So forget that and just fall back on core principles. I mean, you know his targets are going to go up. And when he was targeted last season, he was efficient. Top 25 in yards per target, yards per route run. It's going to happen for Tyler Boyd. He's only 24 years old. He was a precocious producer at the college level, despite lacking athleticism. So unlike Miles Boykin, he was able to transcend his athleticism. That tells me, oh, wow, this guy's good at football. So we have a wide receiver that's good at football that's been elevated the number one wide receiver chair, and there's very little target competition with the exception of Tyler Eifert. Uh, You have to move this guy up multiple rounds. If he was an eighth rounder, he's now a sixth rounder. If he was a seventh rounder, he's now a fifth rounder, right? And I do like Tyler Eifert, and Tyler Eifert, right? He's the perfect backup tight end. If your first tight end doesn't fire, maybe Tyler Eifert fires. If Tyler Eifert doesn't fire, then you have to go to the waiver wire, right? But in a draft master format, where you're always drafting multiple tight ends because you can't go to the waiver wire, Tyler Eifert's a great guy to draft if you already have a an established, stable option at tight end. Let's say you draft Evan Ingram. Then I'm all over Tyler Eifert because I know what I'm getting with Evan Ingram, right? He's been durable and we know he's going to get a monster target share now that Sterling Shepard is hurt. Golden Tate is suspended. Target's going to funnel to Evan Ingram. Why not take a chance on the highest upside guy available at the end of drafts at tight end? It's Tyler Eifert. And now Tyler Eifert's going to get a target boon just like Tyler Boyd. The Tylers. It's the Tyler show. Tyler squared. Joe Mixon, more targets. Giovanni Bernard, more targets. Everybody wins. They don't lose when A.J. Green leaves the field. The other players get more opportunity. And opportunity is king in fantasy football. Matt, I need some sort of mansion lifestyle tip from you. You are fond of dropping the occasional bit of real world lifestyle advice in your podcasts, whether it's cooking or golf or even personal grooming. So got anything good for me? When you're moving, if you have a house and you're moving, rent a dumpster. Rent one of those. You see these, right? You see these, especially outside of commercial buildings when you know, a business is closing. You see the big commercial dumpster. You can rent those yourself. Your moving company has them available. There's plenty of places. That you, sometimes trash services have them. You can rent a dumpster and put it in your driveway and throw shit away. Throw shit away. There's a woman named Marie Kondo. She actually has a show on Netflix that's just about throwing shit away. Like, I can't believe we're here in our society where there's a there's a television show that's not actually on television. It's on the computer, right? And it's Netflix. And it's a woman from Japan that comes over and tells you to throw shit away. Like, that's a show. And I believe in her mantra that if it doesn't inspire you, throw it the fuck away. Get your trash out of here. Clean out your basement. Clean out your attic. And and it's feng shui. I mean, if you really want to understand the fundamental principles, you just look up feng shui on Wikipedia and you can understand it. If your living space is clear and clean and it lacks clutter, 
you have a happier existence. It's true. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but it, maybe there's probably some psychological studies on it. I believe it. And there's real benefit and value to throwing shit away. If you can't decide whether you want to keep it, donate it if possible, but otherwise throw it the fuck away. Now, this isn't just random. This is practical advice. You're moving. Can we talk about this? I don't really want to talk about it. It's I'm, I'm going to have moving PTSD because on the one hand, I would love to just hire a moving company and just move everything. But on the other hand, Marie Kondo says you can't do that. You need to look at everything you have and go through the exercise of figuring out whether or not it inspires you at all. And so we're doing that. And you know, we're lighting candles and it's just, it's, it's so tedious, but it will help. I mean, a week or two from now, I'm going to be very happy, but I'm in the middle of it right now. And it's a really special kind of hell. I mean, anytime you're moving stuff out of an attic in July, I mean, you know, you're fucked. Like you're fucked. You, everyone knows I'm fucked, you know, going through item by item from a, from an attic in July. Right. I, I, I there's, there's, you know, uh, carcinogens up there. It's 110 degrees. So this is my life. Meanwhile, I'm on a podcast as a, as a brief respite from the moving and I'm losing my voice because it's filled with insulation. And here I am asking you about the move. Yeah, it's, it's shitty. Moving is always bad. There's no way to make it. But it's good. It's an investment. It's like working out. Like it's like working out, but for your, your lifestyle, right? You have to do it. And you, the, you'll reap the benefits later. It just, you got to get through it, but you got to do it. It's, it's worth the investment. I, that's what I'm telling myself anyway. Now, Matt, I've long wondered about this and I just have to ask. So you're obviously a pretty outgoing guy. Does your wife have a similar personality or is it more of an opposite to tract kind of thing where she's, she's not me? No, 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 no. She's more outgoing than I am. No way. Really? Oh yeah. She's way more outgoing than I am. No, I'm not that outgoing, actually. No, 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 no. I, you know, I'm a little in your personal. I don't, I don't, I don't answer the door if it's a solicitor, right? I'm rude to people sometimes that are that are asking for my time. You see my my what I do on on Twitter. I don't want to answer your questions. Fuck you. Uh, I'm, I don't work for you for free. I'm not a free advice service on social media. Uh, and I like to be alone. I just want to be alone. I want to, you know, in fact, the reason I'm moving is so that we can have a separate office space and a whole separate area of the house where I can just not be bothered by anybody. So I, I love just operating in my own headspace. Whereas my wife is genuinely, she is genuinely gregarious. I am not. It's for me, when I go into a social setting, I have to pump myself up. I have to be like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to be, and I, I, I say this to myself. So I have this incantation that I say to myself. I say, I say, you love everybody. Everybody's interesting. So many, every human being has their own unique story to tell. You're interested. You're going to ask questions of people. You're curious of how they're doing in their lives and their children. You want to know. You really do. Right? This is the things I say so that I can also be gregarious, but it's fake. I'd rather just go off in the corner one-on-one -on -one with someone and break down their fantasy team for two hours. 
And that's ultimately what happens. So it deteriorates. The day will deteriorate. So in a social situation, I'll be bouncing around for a little while. And then basically what I am is like this, this honeybee that's going around looking for the guy with a fantasy team. And then once I find that guy, it's over. Like his night's over. We're just going to go somewhere and lock in. And then and I'll be so much happier. So we're almost out of time now. And before I set the rest of the show sheet on fire, like what do you most want to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? Do you want to tout Miles Sanders? Do you want to tell us who to buy in the Seattle backfield? Should we give Ronald? I, I really do want to talk about Miles Sanders because it, it, it's hard. Right, let's it, do this. He's been a flagship guy. For yeah, Miles Sanders is my guy, man. He's the league winner. And basically, so tonight there's going to be the pros versus Joes draft. Uh, it's a very competitive draft through the FFPC. And the reason it's competitive is the Joes aren't Joes. The Joes are these high stakes guys that just don't have their own podcast, right? So they're not really Joes at all. It makes it very hard. And I'm in with Mike Beers, who is one of the industry's best best ball players. And it's, it's, it's a deep uh, best ball draft master format. You could tell I was already looking at Willie Sneed earlier this year. You know, Willie Sneed, Adam Humphreys, just guys going to get targets at the end of the draft. That's what I'm going to focus on, locking in all, all kinds of wide receivers at the end because that's the only, it's the only starters you have, right? In a deep best ball league, you need to carve out a swath of slots at the back of the draft for wide receivers because there's no more starting quarterbacks. There's no more starting running backs. There's no more starting tight ends. You need guys going to get touches and that's wide receivers, number two, number three wide receivers, like an Adam Humphreys, like a Mohamed Sanu, in a best ball scenario where you just don't want to take zeros with your back of the roster guys, those players become very attractive. Even better if they're like a Taylor Gabriel or a Travis Benjamin, and they actually can do the thing that you like, which is to get the occasional splashdown weeks where they go over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns. That's amazing. If you can get a true, you know, sort of best ball prototype player like a John Brown, like that's the dream. But if you can't get one of those guys, then you, you'd like to get a guy that's going to be maybe the number three receiver for a prolific offense. Maybe even a guy like Chester Rogers. It's crazy to think about some of these guys. Mohamed Sanu is the best example because I think the Atlanta Falcons are the Kansas City Chiefs of the NFC. So I'm looking at last night's pros versus Joe's draft because they run these every night. And when I opened up that draft board, when I cracked it open, my first thought was, where's Miles Sanders going? I just want to make sure I'm going up around to lock in Miles Sanders. My second thought is, where's Chris Godwin going? Because whenever anyone asks me for you know casual fantasy advice, I say, get Chris Godwin, get Miles Sanders, go win your league. Get Chris Godwin, go get Miles Sanders, go win your league. And already the reports are coming out. Miles Sanders missed minicamp with a hamstring. Too bad. But... Don't don't forget. Remember, Saquon Barkley had a tender hamstring last year. It seems like forever ago, right? And Miles Sanders was Saquon Barkley's backup at Penn State, and he's almost as athletic. He's just a lesser version. He's a little smaller, a little less athletic, not quite as productive. But what if I told you you could get a lesser version of Saquon Barkley six, seven rounds later, and instead of him operating on the Giants offense... He's on the Eagles, right? And again, another low bar backfield to overcome. He has to supplant Jordan Howard, Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood, 
Darren Sproles, Josh Adams, child please. Yeah, there are a lot of bodies. I think people are afraid of the quantity there. Aren't we going out on that? It should be, but... I ended with a child, please, so we could go out on that. Isn't that the show? It should be. You you have those perfect endings where you just end. That should be the show. <laughs> you did set it up on a T for me, and I apologize. I punctuated it for you. What do you want? Can I do better than that? Normally, thank you. I know you've got to go throw shit in your dumpster. How do I? How do I? I know. I now you keep talking, and now I don't know what to do next. I'm like shit. I have to go with a better punctuation than that. God damn it. <sighs> Always good to talk to you, my friend. Before I do let you go, finally, tell people you where You don't they have to you. thank me. <laughs> You're doing me a favor. I'm getting exposure. Don't thank me. Hey, we are friends. That's the thing. The funny thing is I love, I love the banter. This kind of banter is only possible when you are actually friends with someone. Like when I have someone that's not a friend of mine on the show, it's polite, right? When you see the impoliteness, that's an indication that, oh, these two men are friends because that's how men express their affection. You belittle and berate the other guy. That's how he knows you like him. (sighs) So Matt, tell people where they can find you. At fantasy underscore mansion on Twitter. You're probably following me already, but make sure you are. Make sure everyone you know is, unless you want to beat them in fantasy football, then don't tell them. And I'm fine with that, by the way. I'm fine if you hide player profiler at work and don't let anyone know who you're following, even though they, I think they can on Twitter. They're always going to find out. But, you know, there's a, a lack of hype around the best fantasy analysts, especially those like me. They're still not quite mainstream because it's, it's your little secret. It's your little secret at fantasy underscore mansion, playerprofiler.com. Roto Underworld Radio Podcast. It's your little secret. Thanks, buddy. Good luck with the move. Love it, buddy. Love it. All right. That's going to do it for the show, my friends. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. And before I go, let me also thank my outstanding producer. He is Mr. Colm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And be sure to catch the podcast that he co-hosts for RotoViz, along with the esteemed Sean Siegel. It's called RotoViz Overtime, and you can find it at rotoviz.com. I also want to thank my friend and colleague, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com, who lets me park my content on her otherwise outstanding website. Find Melissa on Twitter at thefootballgirl. And of course, my thanks to the great ska band International Jet Set for the music. I will be back soon with another terrific guest, and I hope you will be here with me. Talk to you soon, my friends. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in. Are you?